because he lives. That is that is truth to live on, right? Man, please find your way in God's word to John chapter 12. Going off, off script here. Happy birthday, Caitlin. Could not pick the better day. And she's not here. They do that to me. Why do these kids do this to me? They, they sit here and then they're gone. She could have picked a better day to be born on, so y'all show Caitlin some love today, okay? So here we are. We're now six days away from the final Passover. Y'all clap for her when she comes in. <laughs> We're six days away from the final Passover. The, the Messiah is close to being put on the cross. This is the Saturday, this is the Sabbath, and this will be the last legitimate Sabbath. This is the final Sabbath under the old covenant. Jesus will bring in the new covenant on the next Friday through his blood. He will establish a new covenant and the old covenant will fade away. So the son of God, the Messiah, will soon be crucified. He will be crucified within a week. And that's how John presents Jesus as the son of God and the Messiah. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says this, and we all should know this by now. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an amazing truth that is. By reading the words or hearing the words that John, being led by the Holy Spirit, wrote, one is able to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one, and he is the Son of God. You know, in, in life, we, we learn a lot of things as we go along, and we, we invest time in learning things like math and language and so on. And we, and we study to become more educated. So God, God has created us with a desire to learn, some more than others. Okay, but we, we but but let me just say this. There, there's nothing more important in life than to know the word of God. There's nothing more important. Now, kids, teenagers, young adults, that's not a free ticket to get out doing your other schoolwork. You know, when you're told to do your math, you cannot respond by saying that or or, or, you know, saying, hey, I can't do that because I'm busy studying the Bible. I'm doing what Pastor Rob told me to do. Nothing is more important, including math and language, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Balance is key in life. But what John says here in this text shows why we need to know the word of God. He says, study the text and know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And the result in that knowledge, the result of believing, is that you may have life in his name. So conclusion, with Jesus, you have life. Without Jesus, you have death. Jesus warned everybody in chapter 8, verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. With Jesus, you have life. Without Jesus, you have death. John wants us to know that we know that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity in human form, fully God, fully man as the promised messianic king that God declared would come to take back the earth, establish his rule, 
and bring an everlasting righteousness. He is the only savior of the world, the only means of forgiveness, the only hope of eternal life. Amen. So we have come to chapter 12 of the gospel penned by John. We are basically in the middle of the book. The first half of this letter covered the three and a half years of Jesus's ministry. And now we have one week left before the death and resurrection of Jesus. And John uses the second half of this letter to cover the final week. So it must be important. So let's read our text today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So there he gave, so, th so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of the reclining, was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to, to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may be kept, so she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, for poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only, on, not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, as I studied this text, I could not help but notice the vision that Jesus causes. Because of Christ, we can see love and hate. In our text today, we will see worship and blasphemy. We will see belief and rejection, all because of who Jesus is. You know, I was talking with Tyler and Molly this week, and we talked about how our belief in Jesus caused division in our own families. We talked about how when we got saved, we wanted to get everybody saved. Y'all remember that? We're blasting the gospel every chance we get, man. We're just swinging that Bible all over the place and hitting everybody with it. But, you know, we're blasting everywhere. But then, you know, we kind of get in shock at the reaction we would get from people. You know, we're sharing the best news that one could ever hear, and they are rejecting it. And then confusion sets in. You know, we're like, why in the world would anyone not want to be saved? Why would anyone not want eternal life with the holy God? Doesn't make sense, does it? And then the division sets in. Because of Jesus, we have the saved and the unsaved. We have division. Now watch this. I, I, I found this funny in a way. But the ones who reject the free gift of salvation then judge us by accusing us of judging them. They will say, well, you think you're better than us. You think you're holy. And so not only do they reject Jesus in the good news, but they also reject us too, you see. So the truth is you cannot sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Jesus forces everyone to decide. You choose love or you choose hate. You choose worship or abomination. There's no middle road. 
Jesus is the one that divides the people by the choice they make. The word says he divides the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, believers from unbelievers, the saved from the lost. If you look back at the first 11 chapters of this letter, we, we see this time and time again. We have the ones who believe and we have the ones who would reject. For three and a half years during Jesus' ministry, he has been dividing humanity. And that line of division is a child of God or a child of Satan. Humanity is divided by lineage. And remember, we ask ourselves, who's your daddy? Right? It matters. Who's your daddy? And we will see Jesus dividing people in our text today. Each person described in this text expresses his or her attitude towards Jesus through specific actions. Many were honoring. They were honoring Jesus with the meal of Thanksgiving. We have Martha, Mary, Lazarus, and Simon. All were worshiping Jesus. They all expressed their great love and faith for Jesus. And then we have Judas, the true betrayer, who shows where his heart is by disproving of Mary's extravagance act, extravagant act of worship. And last but not least, we have the chief priests, who not only want to kill Jesus, but also want to kill Lazarus. So we have believers and rejectors. So let's take a look at the scene. Only a few weeks have gone by since Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. It's now six days before the Passover. And the scripture says that Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. It's a celebration. They put together a dinner honoring Jesus. I think we would all agree that, you know, raising somebody from the dead would be a reason to have a dinner, celebration, and a party. That, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, this guy brings your brother, your friend, back from the dead. Lazarus was once dead. Everyone knew it. Now he is alive because of Christ. Let's throw a party. And the Lord's raising, we have to know this, the Lord's raising of Lazarus had really caused a big division. Because, because of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, many believed. But on the other hand, it caused many to harden their hearts even more against Jesus. It stirred up murderous opposition from the hostile Jewish leaders. We saw it at the end of chapter 11, their response was to say, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. From the day he raised Lazarus from the dead, they made plans to put him to death. They are full of hatred and rejection. Jesus knew this. Our Lord knew that the Jewish leaders were out to arrest him and kill him. But he still returned to Bethany, only two miles from the very citadel of his enemies. Why? Jesus did not fear his enemies. He does not fear his enemies. He was in control. He is the one who would decide when his hour would come. Just two miles away. I found this very amazing. Six days away from the cross. Hatred for him is building at a rapid pace. And he says, you know what? I think I'll go spend some time with my friends. I'll go spend some time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus over here. All of this evil and betrayal is being brought to one place in the world. And Jesus said, you know what? It'd be good to spend some quiet time with some believers and friends. So we have to ask ourselves, how important is fellowship? 
with believers. How important is the church body? How important is the community of believers? How important is it for believers to meet together? Think about that. All of this was set before Jesus. We're on this side of it. We could see everything that was set before him and what was going to happen within a week. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go spend some time with believers. Think about that. In our society, we do not put the gathering of the saints at the top of our list. Church, fellowship, meeting together to put our love in action is not, in, not as important in America as it should be. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm an introvert. I don't like being around people. Well, guess what? I don't either. Just kidding, man. I like being around you guys. I like you guys. Especially, you know, Pastor Jared, man. He's a light, ain't he? He's a rock. I like being around you guys. Listen, as you know, my family went on vacation. We missed two Sundays in a row. That hasn't happened in a long time. But let me tell you what, we missed you guys. Just, I want you to know, we missed your smiling faces. We missed worshiping the Lord and Savior. We missed you. And you know what? We all should have that ache in our hearts to meet together, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I believe that's what was, that was what was going on in that house in Bethany. One more thought before we move here. One may think, well, you know what? I don't need church. Me and, me and God, we got this thing going. I don't need church. I don't need all those people because, you know, more people, more trouble. I just want to say maybe it's not about you. Just maybe those people need you. Spending time with believers was important to Jesus. He needed it, and so do we. Amen? Amen. So here we are in an amazing dinner, a joyful time, even though sadness is on the horizon. Now, this event is recorded in all four Gospels, and we can read in Mark that this happened at Simon the leper's home. The word does not tell us how it's related to everyone, but he must have been a very close friend because everyone made themselves at home. Martha's there serving, so they must have been very close to each other. Now, the word calls Simon the leper, but know this. Simon had to be healed of that disease or he could not have been around everyone else. You know, we all know how they treated lepers. They were outcasts. Uh, leprosy was a common disease with no cure. The, the, only, the only way Simon could have been cured of this disease would have been by the healing of Jesus, right? Now here's a point of my study where that squirrel ran across the yard and I began thinking about how the conversations went at this meal. Think about this. You know how people like to talk and tell what happened to them and talk about themselves. Simon's telling everyone he was cured of an incurable disease by Jesus. You know, he's pulling up his sleeves, showing his fingers. You know, he's like, just look at it. Would you just look at it? I'm healed. You know, then, then you have Mary. She's over there saying, well, Jesus healed me of evil spirits and saved my soul. And then you got Lazarus. He's like, yeah, that's impressive, boys and girls. <laughs> but I was dead, graveyard dead, and Jesus raised me from the dead. You just can't beat that conversation. All right, you, you got us, Lazarus. You win. You win. 
Do you know that Jesus changed Lazarus' last name? He, he did that often. He changed names. He changed Saul to Paul, right? Lazarus' last name is now whom Jesus raised from the dead. From No, <laughs> no longer is he known as Lazarus Bernstein. Or, you know, I don't even know if that's his last name. But, but Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, is how he was known until the second time he died. You know, Jesus changed his name. But could you imagine the conversation all the praising of Jesus that was going on in that home, I would have loved to have been there. You know, it was a, just a time of worship that just couldn't be copied. Now, there's something that we do not know in this text. The scripture does not say anything about what Lazarus saw or heard from the time he died until he was raised again. You know why? God didn't feel like we need to know that. That's why. We all, we all need to know, we all need to know that in the script, we all need to know that in the scriptures is all we need, right? What's in there is all we need. This is the doctrine of sufficiency of scripture. To say that the scriptures are sufficient means that the Bible is all we need to equip us for life and faith and service. It's right here. In the word of God, we see a clear demonstration of God's intention to restore the broken relationship between himself and humanity through his son, Jesus Christ, our savior, through the gift of faith. No other writings are necessary for the good news to be understood, nor are any other writings required to equip us for a life of faith. The scriptures are sufficient. And when I say that, I'm referring to the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul declared the Holy Scripture declared that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and that all Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if Scripture is God breathed, then it is not man-breathed, and although it is penned by men, those men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's what we all need to know. We need to know that we know that no man-made writing is sufficient to equip us for every good work and make us wise for salvation through faith. Only the Word of God can do that. And I, and I hit this because it was only a few days ago I had a conversation with a man who was telling me, telling me about how he has daily devotions that he reads on his Facebook. And he said, he said, hey, I also read the Mormons writing and the Jehovah Witnesses devotion. He must have saw my eyebrows go up because he said, well, they have some good stuff in there, too. And I said to him, well, they are wrong when it comes to the teaching of who Jesus is. He said, well, you just have to take out the bad. And so I asked, well, why put yourself through that? You know, you, you have everything. You have the truth right here in Scripture. You don't have to take out the bad. Listen, Paul warned the church of Colossae, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. If you read the book of Jude, in the book of Jude, we read, although I was very 
eager to write to you about the salvation we share. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Once and for all. Once and for all. That makes it clear that no other writings are needed. No matter how godly the pastor is or how famous the theologian is or, or what this denomination says about this, none are those to be seen as equal or, or completing the word of God. The Bible is all that is necessary for believers to understand the character of God, the nature of man, the doctrines of sin, heaven, hell, and salvation through Jesus Christ. We have everything we need right here. Everything we need. We, we, do, we do not have anything written about Lazarus here while he was dead because we don't need it. We don't need it. We've got everything we need. So we do know about the conversations about the, in the house that glorified Jesus. So let's look at the acts of worship. So I want to start with Martha. Verse two. So they gave a dinner for him. Martha served and Lazarus, one who was reclining with one of those reclining with him at the table. Martha served. Now, I believe over the years, people have not been kind to Martha. She gets a bad rap for being a doer. That's not a bad thing. People would say, look, there's Martha serving again instead of worshiping. And we get this from Luke 10. Let me read. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listening and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what should we take away from that? Well, we should know that the truth that Jesus gave is forever. The toils of life are temporary. Like I said earlier, knowing the divine truth, knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and worship Jesus is priority in life. Kids, this does not mean that when your parents tell you to help cook or clean or do your chores that you say you can't because you're in your room worshiping. And that takes priority over meaningless work. No, you can't do that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Listen, Martha's service was noble. Being a servant is a blessing. Deacons in the church have committed to serve. All of them and their service is very important to the life of the church. Listen to what Jesus said about being a servant. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of God honors service. Christ came to serve. Galatians 5.13 tells us this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
What sets us apart from the world is how we love and serve one another. Martha's doing that. She served because she loved the Lord. She loved the people she served. And I think all of you would agree with me here. It's a beautiful thing to see believers loving and serving one another. It is awesome to see. And we know it takes an act of God for that to happen. He gets the glory. So I think Martha deserves a break. She was worshiping the Lord by serving. Amen. Now, let's look at the worship of Mary. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So what we see here is a pure act of love and worship. It was done publicly, unashamed. It was spontaneous, sacrificial, and personal. Jesus called it a good work. Anointing Jesus with that perfume was an act of love. So let's talk about that perfume for a second. This is a lot of perfume, a pound of undiluted perfume. This is the good stuff. This, this, this is the top shelf stuff right here. You just don't, every house doesn't have this. Its aroma had to be amazing. Nard was a very rare herb grown in the high pastures in the lands of China, Tibet, and India. So it took a, a long trip to even get that to, to Bethany, which added to its value. The money man who betrayed Jesus, he knew the value of that perfume, as we see. It would basically take a year's wages from a common laborer to purchase that amount of ointment. But the cost did not matter to Mary. All she wanted to do was worship the king of kings. Her loving heart is beating out of her chest. She smashes the alabaster jar and opens it over the head of Jesus. And the oil runs down his head all the way down to his feet. Her beautiful act of worship brought a fragrance to, that, to the very house in which they were dining and praising Jesus. It filled the house, the scripture said. When she came to the feet of Jesus, Mary took the place of a servant in her act of worship. She didn't stop there. When she, when she didn't stop there, when she undid her hair, something that Jewish women did not do in public, she humbled herself and laid her glory at his feet. The oil, the perfume has covered Jesus from his head to his feet. It's all over Mary. It's on her hands. It's in her hair. It's on her dress as she was on the floor washing the feet of our precious Savior. Think about that scene. Think about this. <clears throat> Think about the fragrance that filled that house of this top quality perfume. The smell from this oil did not easily diminish. It was powerful. So powerful that I bet the people could still smell it on Jesus when he came into Jerusalem. So powerful, I bet you could still smell it on Mary as she wept when she was at the tomb of Jesus. It didn't diminish easily. It was an aroma of love and praise. Do you know this? Without perfume, there is still a sweet aroma when God's people worship Jesus. An indescribable sweet aroma that goes all the way up to heaven. Mary loved the Lord. 
and anointing Jesus with oil was such a beautiful act of worship. Jesus says, hey, listen, leave her alone. She's, she's preparing me for my day of burial. This is worship. Jesus said, hey, she's preparing me for, for burial. He knew his death was near. But the anointing of the oil on the head. Think about this. There he is with the oil on the head. It also has implication of Jesus' kingship. In the Old Testament, anointing the head was often association with, associated with the dedication of kings. You can read about it in 1 Samuel and 1 Kings. So what's happening here? Why do we have this story in all the Gospels? Mary's anointing points to Jesus' identity as Messiah, King. That is who Jesus is. What did I tell you that John wanted us to know when we read this gospel? He wants us to know without a doubt that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity in human form, fully God, fully man, as the promised messianic king that God would, that God declared would come to take back the earth, establish his rule, and bring an everlasting righteousness. He is the only savior of the world, the only means of forgiveness, the only hope of eternal life. Jesus is anointed with oil because he is the king of kings. Amen. Amen. Watch this. Jesus Christ is God's anointed Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one and derives directly from the Hebrew word for anointed. Christ comes from the Greek word, Christos, which also, also meaning anointed one. Thus, Christ is a Greek equivalent to the Messiah. When Jesus received the Holy Spirit at his baptism, he is anointed by God in the preparation for his life's work. And here we see Jesus was anointed with a fragrant ointment in his work as the Savior, the King of heaven, who was in preparation to die to save his people. Jesus is the anointed king who would die to save his people. Now, that's not the way man would have done it. Die in order to become king. But that is how God has done it. And we praise the Lord for that. We humble ourselves and we praise God just like Mary did. We become servants just like our Savior did. You know, when Mary anointed Jesus' Jesus' feet that day and wipes it with her hair, she foreshadows Jesus' action at the upcoming Last Supper when the Lord washes the disciples' feet, feet and teaches them how to love one another through sacrificial, humble service. Mary was just doing what God wants all of us to do. Love one another through sacrificial, humble service. You know, we've all heard that song, Mary, Did You Know? You know, talking about Jesus' mom, Mary, Did You Know? Maybe there should be a song written about this Mary. I wonder if she knew. If she knew that her story would be in all the Gospels. I wonder if Mary knew that her love for Jesus would be told and read about time after time for thousands of years. Mary, Did You Know? I wonder if Mary knew that her love for Jesus would challenge all believers in the future. Did she know? 
Did she know what a blessing she would be to many for centuries to come? Mary, did you know that your act of love and worship would be known by thousands and thousands of people? Mary, did you know? The worship act of Mary epitomizes faith and love. She challenges us all. And then comes a division. On the other hand, the cold, calculated, cynical, responsive Judas epitomizes unbelief and hatred. Here's that division again. On one side of the room, we have faith and love and worship. But on the other side, we have unbelief and hatred and rejection. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Here we have Judas, another person that had his last name changed by Jesus. Lazarus will always be known as Lazarus, who was raised, who Jesus raised from the dead. And now we have Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed Jesus. His last name is changed also. He should also have been known as the guy who interrupted a beautiful worship service. Yeah, can you hold on just for a minute? Judas had a selfish heart that lacked love. He was greedy and was only looking out for himself. He was only following Jesus to get what he could out of him. And through the act, and though the act of, of, of worship from Mary, and through the act of the worship of Mary, he was seeing his plan to become rich by worldly standards fall apart right before his eyes. The idea of a kingdom was becoming ridiculous to him. He was embezzling what little money they had, and for him to see a year's salary poured out on the floor was too much for him to take. He was ready to get out. Jesus had said many times that they were going to kill him, that he was going to die. So having access to the money bag was going away. But look, he had been fooling everyone except Jesus. When Jesus told the disciples one of them was going to betray him, what was their response? Who, who is that? Nobody suspected Jesus. Deceivers are good at what they do. He was in control of the money. Why? Because everyone trusted him right he was good at deceiving side note here the perfume was worth three times the amount that judas betrayed jesus for as soon as judas saw the oil being poured out he left to find the jewish leaders to cash in by betraying jesus you know the leaders had already put it out anybody know where he is just let us know and you could get his money Judas is the apostate of all apostates. He's not the only one, though. What is an apostate? Somebody who defects from the truth with the knowledge of the truth. Let me say that again. Somebody who defects from the truth with the knowledge of the truth. We all know people like that. There have been many Judas kisses. That is those who have been close to Christ and kissed him goodbye. So sad. No faith, no love, only unbelief and hatred. No faith, 
no love and only unbelief and hatred. Look at verse eight. Jesus says, for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, this is for everyone, not just the kids. This does not mean that we do not take care of the poor, okay? Just because we're worshiping Jesus doesn't mean we do not take care of the poor. Listen, beware of teachers who make more out of this text than is here or any other text for that matter. This is not a divine endorsement of poverty or encouragement to do nothing about poverty. Instead, Jesus was saying that the causes of poverty are many and the people will always have occasions to help the poor. But the opportunity to show love to Jesus on earth was limited at that time. It's as simple as that. Every verse, know this, every verse doesn't have an application. We don't have to, what is this saying to me and what do I need to do? No, sometimes it's just God giving the truth of events that happen, okay? Let's move on. Verse 9, when a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom, had, whom he had raised from the dead, as you can see. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So the crowds find out that Jesus is in Bethany, and they head that way, not only to see Jesus, but they want to see Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. They're all going out that way. But the Jewish leaders didn't like that. Why? Because many were believing. Many were following Jesus. So what's their answer to that problem? They said, let's kill Lazarus, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Can you see how hatred, anger, jealousy, unbelief affects the way one thinks? Let's kill the guy that Jesus just raised from the dead. That's the answer to your problem? Did anyone in, in the meeting go, uh, I have a question? Yeah, you in the back. If we kill Lazarus, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, what will we do if Jesus raises him from the dead again? <laughs> Didn't cross their minds? It was like, dead Lazarus, Jesus, come out, Lazarus. What do, they, what do we do now? But I want you to see how hatred, when you let this stuff fill your hearts, how hatred, anger, jealousy, unbelief affects the mind. They have chosen to be on the wrong side of life. There was a line and they were on the wrong side. So we can see in the town of Bethany, there was a division because of who Jesus is. People in that day had to make a choice. They had to choose who they were going to be. Just like every human that has ever lived has to do. Because of who Jesus is, he forces every person to make a choice. Each person has to ask themselves, am I going to be a child of God or am I a child of Satan? You're one or the other. There's no middle road. It's simple as this. With Jesus, you have life. Without Jesus, you have death. You can have love or you can have hate. You can choose to worship or abomination. You can believe or reject. You can be saved or be lost for eternity. Jesus is the one that divides the people by the choice they make. We all have a choice to make. 
And I suggest you make an educated decision. Study the word of God. Study the book of John so you can know that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity in human form. Fully God, fully man as the promised messianic king that God declared would come to take back the earth. Establish his rule and bring an everlasting righteousness. Know this, Jesus is the anointed king of kings, the only savior of the world, the only means of forgiveness, the only hope of eternal salvation. So I ask you today, if you haven't changed your last name, make today the day that you change your last name. My name's Rob. And my last name is Jesus raised me from the dead because I was once dead in my trespasses. And Jesus saved my soul. I am now Rob, a child of God. What's your last name? Has Jesus changed your name? Search your hearts today.